I don't have a ton of things to say about this movie. I have stuff okay. to say, but like, it's not like we're going to be able to have a narrative or dialogue to talk about, you know? I'm sure we could find reasons to argue if you wanted to argue. I don't, I, <laughs> we're going to argue. Put that in, make okay, that good. the teaser for this, where it's like, you know, they, people <laughs> click play, and you're like, we can find reasons to argue. And you're going, we're going to argue before you start, like, the, <laughs> you know, as like the cold open. I'm really obsessed with yeah. cold opens now because Murder She Wrote always starts with a uh, tonight on Murder She Wrote. So, <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Swamplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. And I am Boomer. And this is the New Orleans based podcast. We talk about movies. And uh, this is a different format than usual. We're going to talk about a New Orleans based film festival today. I watched about nine movies at the Overlook Film Festival. It was like an early weekend in June. I lived in the mostly closed food court at the mall. It can now placed for uh, about four days, uh, just going in and out of different films, talking to nerds from all over the country. And uh, my favorite film from the festival was the Closing Night movie. And about a week later, it was on Shutter. So I had a pretty quick timeline of getting to share that with you all on the podcast because uh for the rest of the films in the docket they're all gonna have these like really slow rollouts over the next year later in the episode uh bill arsenault is like a local film critic will be joining me to talk about a wider range of films that played at overlook but i wanted to speak with boomer first about mad god directed by phil tippett yeah for a long time directed by phil tippett apparently <laughs> A large chunk of Phil Tippett's life has been dedicated to directing Mad God. And he has quite a lot to show for it. He really does. You can tell a lot of work went into it. It's a dense little movie. Um, although it has no plot and no dialogue. <laughs> so it's both yeah. very dense and very open. It allows your mind to wander while you're watching it. And wander it does. <laughs> it really does. There were, there were definitely <laughs> moments where I was like, oh, I need to pay attention. Because it was sort of setting off these various chains of thought while I was watching it. I was like, oh, right, right. Okay, I'm with it. And it's a movie that really does, it challenges you to, it dares you to try and figure out what it's about. It's non-narrative in a very fascinating way. I was a little worried about like how it would play at home because when I saw it in the theater, I was very much just mesmerized by it. But I was thinking also as I left, like if I was on my couch and I did rewatch it at home once it was on Shutter, and I threw my phone in the other room because, <laughs> like, sitting there for eighty minutes with just like ticking clocks and babies screaming, how long can I pay attention without reaching for a computer, like a second screen, to distract myself? Because uh, that is a struggle I always have at home, and I, I find most of my favorite movies I watch throughout the year are usually my theatrical experiences and not stuff I watch on my couch. It's like my last go-to, you know. So I am curious about how different your level of enthusiasm is here, but I guess I should describe how it was made and what it is real quick. I mean, there's not that much to get into there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that first you should recite some of your favorite lines of dialogue and then <laughs> wah, wah. give a very brief description <laughs> of the plot and then you can talk about how it was made. So, um, okay. well, I guess we'll say N.A., <laughs> And uh, N.A. <laughs> All right. Well, how was it made, Brandon? Uh, Phil Tippett 
came up as a stop motion nerd. Like I think he saw like a Ray Harryhausen movie as a kid and he's like, I want to do that for a living. And he did it very well. He uh, got his big break directing the chess piece scene in the first Star Wars movie uh, where Chewie's playing the sort of hologram chess set with those claymation monsters that smash each other. Yeah. And then later he worked on the stop motion stuff in like RoboCop and um <laughs> dragon slayer a bunch of like 80s stop motion stuff when that was still the media you're laughing you're talking about dragon slayer and you're laughing what are you <laughs> what's wrong with that <laughs> his role on dragon slayer was dragon supervisor which is the coolest thing i cannot argue with you there yeah. and he, he still has um in the recent jurassic world movies credits as the dinosaur supervisor even though the medium has changed yeah i, I think it was around the first uh, Jurassic Park they hired him to do dinosaur modeling for that yeah and during production they were presented with CGI that Spielberg thought was more convincing and better fit for the film and Phil Tippett's heart was like broken in half where he was like oh my livelihood is over and he did pivot and do a lot of CGI work after the fact but I don't think he's ever like fully gotten over the fact that like the thing that he loves most, which is stop motion animation, has been replaced by computer graphics. And I agree with him. That is heartbreaking. You don't have to argue with me about that. <laughs> I, I'm a fuddy-duddy about a lot of things. And very rarely does that mean that I align with you. But I also believe that uh, practical effects are almost universally better than uh, anything that you can create in your computer. The example that I always go to is, you know, of course it is. It's Wrath of Khan, where... <laughs> You have these two <laughs> starships locked in this like submarine battle. And when you're watching it, you really can see the love. Like you can see every line and every not literal but metaphorical fingerprint on it of all the love that went into building those models that you just don't see whenever you have seven thousand starships that you can just ram against each other in your computer. You know? There was a very brief period where everything got really cool and now everything just looks like garbage now but yeah he's the he was the visual effects supervisor on other things too which like starship troopers that's a big one willow which i love we talk we don't <laughs> i i think about willow all the time um temple of doom and also people forget about how good the stop motion is in house two the second story but he was the stop motion designer and supervisor on that as well and it I I kind of see that the most in Mad God. You know what actually reminds me the most of Mad God from his catalog is uh the giant monster from the end of Howard the Duck, which is a terrifying <laughs> hell beast. Okay. <laughs> I don't know when the last time you watched that was. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking me about something that happens at the end of Howard the Duck. It's not how many times have I started it. It's how many times have I managed to finish it. And the answer might be none. I love that movie. And I think a lot of my affection for it has to do with the fact that there's a hideous hell beast in that film that the duck has to defeat. <laughs> Fair enough. It feels like so out of nowhere. But yeah, it was around the time he was making RoboCop 2 in like the early 90s when he decided to work on this passion project uh, that eventually became Mad God, where he was creating just an entire special effects showcase where he didn't have to do these you know, really cool retro effects we're talking about for someone else's creative project. It was like purely just his artwork 
no distractions, which like we said, no plot, no dialogue. It's just pure mayhem of his creative design. It's a nightmare in like the purest sense of the word (laughs) where nothing really makes sense. There are connections between things that are presented to you, but they, those connections are tenuous at best and everything is tinged with a frightening surreality. Yeah. And like most nightmares, it's very ambling without like a real, like any sense you make of it is something your brain is like creating a pattern for after the fact and you're interpreting it yourself. Yeah. I think the movie's pretty open for interpretation. I I can talk about what I saw the first time I saw it in the theater, which was that, you know, he's been working on this for 30 something years. And for me, the first half of the movie has this very antiqued look to it. Like it looks like old footage that has been maybe touched up, but mostly left intact. And then the second half, and there's a clear break, looks much more crisp and like shot in like digital HD. And what I see in those two halves is a movie that's kind of commenting on itself. The main character is this little soldier who's basically faceless and sent into the depths of hell, more or less. He like goes down in this old fashioned diving bell, like uh, as if he's like just being sunk to the ocean floor. Um, and he just goes further and further past the ocean floor. I don't even know that I would consider it the ocean floor. It's liquid, whatever's going on. Ugh, okay, all right. I mean, I guess I can't argue that. <laughs> but I, Okay, go on, go on. We're going to fight about this. Tonight, someone <laughs> fights. So it's an anonymous like soldier figure. He, he's credited in the credits as an assassin, and he does have a briefcase with a bomb in it. So presumably he's on some kind of like mission to kill somebody or a large number yeah. of people. But basically just watch him go from like environment to environment in this like insular world where everything's handmade stop motion uh, with a little bit of real live action footage sort of clipped in. But for the most part, it's all very like tactile. Like someone basically made this in their studio or their bedroom is what it looks like. And he eventually fails in his mission. He's kidnapped and disassembled in surgery um, for an audience of (laughs) these little fascist uh, clapping faceless monsters. And then it sort of resets where the 80s cult film director uh, Alex Cox actually appears in the movie as this like wizardly figure um, who plucks a new identical soldier from like a, a stock of them and then sends him on a similar mission. And the new faceless soldier with a new bomb basically repeats the same action. He just like goes through other new worlds, except now it's in crisp HD. And there's a bunch of little side characters and like tangents where you leave the soldier for a while and just watch these other ugly little fucks do disgusting stuff. There's a lot of just like shit and blood and just gross hairs rolled up in these like gooey monsters. Like basically everything they see and do is all violence. Like there's no kindness in this world. It's all just disgusting brutality. And I feel like when he started making it, he was doing some kind of like morbid commentary just on the like from the largest scale of like nuclear war down to uh, two little monsters arguing about who has to shovel the shit from the bigger monsters that fall down on them. Yeah. Um, Like everything is violence from top to bottom. Yeah. That's if there's anything that you could objectively say is actually happening in this movie. It is that 
the entire premise is that everything is built on a layer of shit that oppresses the layer below. And the layer, the further down you go, it's just more backbiting and hatred and fighting. Even just like you said, once it gets down to things that you're not even certain have like brain cells, they're just like automatons, but still there's cruelty in systems of (sighs) systems of oppression, but like systems of industrialization and systems of to me, those people, those little people needed a union, I guess is what I'm getting at. <laughs> the little uh, compressed shit monsters that don't have faces that keep getting like squashed every time they go to work. <laughs> I was surprised to find that they are supposed to be shit monsters. I mean, I get that they are literally that, but they looked like um, <laughs> what they really look like, dear listener, is when you brush your cat and then you roll, <laughs> you roll the, the, the hair off of the brush. And if you roll it up in a little ball between your palms... That's what you get with these people. That's what they look like they're made out of. That is accurate. And I thought that it was very interesting that they were able to, that Philip Tippett was able to create empathy for them. And then on top of that, that like you could be concerned about violence done to them because they are dismembered and killed in horrific ways. Oh, yeah. And it's not joyful. Like, I mean, there's a few laughs in the movie. For the most part, you're just like, ugh, every couple like seconds. Because uh, it just, it's just nonstop mayhem. Um, and it's all so gross that you can't really glean much joy out of it. Like, I've seen a lot of people share that clip from Parks and Rec where, what's his name, Ben starts getting into making stop motion. He's like, could a depressed person have made this? Uh, it's right. a little clay figure for himself. Uh, and tagging this movie with that clip. And it's like, yeah, this looks like a depressed person has just been locked in a bedroom for 30 years talking to no one. But I think through the persistence of getting this made and like having younger collaborators pushing him to return to the medium that he used to love. And because of those two bifurcated segments and because a lot of the visual motifs have to do with time, there's a lot of like death and rebirth and there's a lot of candles burning into like stumps and there's a lot of ticking clocks um, both on the bomb that doesn't go off and just on the wall (laughs) everywhere like in the theater actually it was much louder in the mix that the ticking clocks were like deafening it was like most of what i could hear Mm. so to me it becomes like kind of a commentary on its own making just like the persistence of this artist sending more of his little soldiers out in the world hoping that they do well like uh, these little creative projects uh, and they never make it, but he keeps doing it anyway. And also just like on the cruelty of time and on everything, like everything is cruel and hopeless, but uh, this weird little wizard keeps sending his little like assassin soldiers out into the world, uh, hoping the best for them. It, it made me think of Orwell. It made me think of 1984, actually, and it, which I know is, you know, oh, it made me think of 1984 is such like a cliche for anyone to say ever. But it made me think of that quote of like, if you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. And that was really what I interpreted from the mountain of suitcases that were full of bombs. That this this creature above had been sending, it's, it's not just that he's sending one after another, you get that from the scene of them in their outermost sphere, wherever that is. But you really don't appreciate the magnitude of how long 
this being has been trying to break the system until you see this mountain of suitcases or rather when you reflect on seeing the mountain of suitcases once you realize oh this is not the first time it's not the hundredth time it's probably not even the thousandth time that whatever this outermost being is that's sending these assassins in to break the wheel has been at it for an unimaginable amount of time i think it's also notable too that like the only moment of like creation instead of destruction um is when this like I don't know if you can spoil this movie really, but like a uh, <laughs> this like baby that is pulled out of one of the dead soldiers is turned into this like magic dust that creates a whole new beautiful universe that erects and then immediately turns into the same destruction within like thirty seconds. Like it, it like the only moment of creation um, is this like brief, um, beautiful moment, and then it immediately turns to like shit and violence, just like everything else. Uh, in this like continuing cycle. Yeah, it's the it's the boot on the human face forever. And it right. <laughs> I know that I briefly kind of talked about before that I was reading the Three Body Problems series of books. But after I finished it, you know, I started sort of a group chat with or group text message with a, a few of my friends who had previously finished it and who had, you know, recommended it to me and even one of them had like given it to me for my birthday, like the set of books last year. And the thing is, that series of books is just like, it really goes into detail over and over again about all of the preparations that human beings make to prevent their destruction at the hands of some inconceivable outside force, which becomes larger and more inconceivable as the series goes on. But that It'll do 80 pages of setup and then list like one or two pages of complete and utter devastation that ruined all of that in ways that were completely unimaginable. So that book series is in its own way, sort of that boot on the human face forever, except that in the end, it has, I guess, a happy ending, but in a way that's so esoteric as to like, it's impossible to spoil. It's that like, yeah, everything will eventually get better, but not in a way that means anything to any of the characters that you've met along the way, or even you, the reader. It's Things will get better in a way that's just so completely outside of the realm of any of that mattering that it's, you know, it might as well not be a happy ending at all. And this movie is very similar in that it's like, oh, there is a hope Except not really, (laughs) not in a way that matters, because even if all of this is destroyed, it's inevitably and like (laughs) inexorably turned into the same system of human boot face. (laughs) It's all scale too, right? Like you get really invested maybe for like a second into these like minor quibbles or maybe moments of like hope maybe. Uh, but then it immediately, those things are just dwarfed by an even bigger, uglier thing. Like, yeah, the, the moment that this reminded me a lot of was something that you were um, bringing up from alien. When we watched it was the uh, scale of the space jockey reveal and how like mysterious that figure is and like uh-huh. how it dwarfs everything around it. And you just like feel like overwhelmed by the size and the scale of it. And I feel like this movie just constantly plays with scales. Like it just gets tinier and tinier. And then you see something like that that just completely recontextualizes everything to make it like really just not matter <laughs> because there's bigger, scarier stuff to deal with. Yeah. And I was kind of in awe of it the way that that space jockey reveal is supposed to happen. Like 
every couple images i was just like what am i looking at that's wild looking like i've never seen anything like that the movie constantly pulls that out yeah it has it has that element and it's so persistent and pervasive though i i have to ask you were you ever bored during it did you ever get tired and and i'm also curious about like what your sense of time was while watching it I was like aware of time because of the clock motif. Like I felt like the movie was like goading me into like focusing on how long this was going on in the theater. I was mesmerized, but I was also aware of how annoyed other people were by the movie. Cause it is very grating, especially those baby screams and the clocks. Like, yeah, it wears you down. I was not bored in the theater at home. Um, I was a little more like, not bored, but just like uh, less entranced. I was more just like thinking about it, you know, sort of like making little notes to myself and not so much like submerged in its scatological <laughs> grotesquerie. I was just like, uh, I was more just like thinking about it and thinking about what it means and like thinking about the construction of it at home where like in the dark with strangers i was just like my jaw was just dropped the whole time i was like this is fucking intense i yeah i should note that there are theaters that are playing it um even though it went straight to streaming um i I know in new orleans there's at least two spots that are doing it i imagine you know your alamo draft houses and other like art house spots around the country you're playing at least for a week yeah if your city has a film society or a film society cinema you know check that out if you have an art house theater in your or your town your city early let's be real well i should ask you were you bored i i, I haven't heard you uh, make an assessment yet i've been uh going you to talk about uh different elements of it but i need to know like what your overall impression was at this point i didn't hate it i liked it for them I, I liked very large swaths of it there were times where i think i said before my mind started to wander and i think that there are parts where it gets a little repetitious I will say I I had to watch this one while lying down because of a medical issue that I had this week. So as a result, there were many times where it really threatened to make me like fall asleep, which is something that's very strange to say about something that's so nightmarish. But I think even on this podcast before, we've talked about movies that are not dull or boring at all, but which have such a kind of like dreamlike quality that if you're not staying like actively engaged it kind of makes it too easy to just slip across like the border into like your dreams they're hypnotic yeah the most recent one i could think of was uh last year at marion bad with uh the other half of the crew and then with us uh arabato has a similar like yes it puts you under a spell but your eyes are like rolling around as you're under that spell i would even say like the original suspiria qualifies for that in a lot of ways too i kind of fell asleep a little bit when i saw that 4k restoration come out in the theater uh unfortunately and it's not because it's a bad movie i mean (laughs) listeners to this podcast or readers of the site know i love it it's a five-star movie to me but that doesn't mean that i've never fallen asleep during it it tricks you it it you know and this movie does the same thing where like i kept having to like force myself to pay attention at certain points because it had become so sort of dreamlike that my i i i could feel myself slipping into like a dream like my my actual dreams by falling asleep 
I was most actively engaged with the section that took place in the sort of factory where all of the little hairball people were being horribly injured and killed. That was where I was most engaged because I was like, mm-hmm, ain't no OSHA down wherever they are. <laughs> Just like, you know, yeah. The, and, and, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a person who's immune to propaganda or a person who's immune to being manipulated. But that like aligned with my politics where I was like, mm-hmm, that's what happens. They need a union in there. So <laughs> that was the part that I was most actively engaged with. And then a close second would be the wraith-like entity that takes that trill, hairy trill baby thing. Yeah, that underwater effect, even though he's floating in the air, uh, is really creepy. It's so impressive. With the plague doctor mask and all those little hanging like fringe uh clicking beads i don't know really like skulls and stuff i don't really know what was going on under that hat but i was definitely mesmerized by it yeah i think that uh, uh, the only thing that i'll say that is sort of a negative in this particular sphere is there came a moment where and i'll actually tie this back to something that you don't like brandon uh because we're fighting i guess is that i remember when (laughs) i watched the movie that you didn't like. Um, I'm thinking of ending things when they arrive at his parents' house. I already felt like I had watched a movie. Like that whole thing felt like an entire narrative unto itself, that car ride to me. And then you're barely into the movie when that happens, there's still so much more to go. And there came a moment whenever I was watching this that I was like, "Mm, okay, we're reaching and approaching a natural ending point. And because it does not have a traditional narrative structure, it's kind of like intentionally like rejecting any attempt to graft a narrative structure onto it. That while I was watching it, I was like, oh, we're about to wrap this up. And it was halfway through. And that was the first moment that I was like, oh no, am I going to love this? I thought I was going to, but I'm not sure because now I realize there's so much of it left, even though it's not a very long movie. It's, you know, it's it's like, it's under 90, I believe. Yeah, I actually think my favorite half is the second half though. Like, or at least I think the second half differentiates itself enough so you don't feel like you're just doing the same thing again. Like yeah. it feels more modern and it has brighter images like there's that day glow like mushroom room where the cockroaches are having a tea party and everything looks like it that if you licked it you'd be tripping forever uh <laughs> and there's like kind of this like james bidgood like glitter polish over everything like the second half feels different enough from the first that if it had continued without that break i probably would have been a lot more bored with it than i was yeah. But by shifting the image um, from that antique look to something more sharp and like modern and by like kind of changing up the atmosphere a little bit, even though it was still all fucked up and disgusting, like I was back in it. <laughs> like it like won me back over and had me thinking a lot about just like the creation of the project in a way that I started looking for how it was reflected in the narrative, which I thought is which I think is still the most rewarding like its own existence feels like a triumph in a way. Like this thing should not have been completed and it was. And I found that very like heartening 
as a passion project that you know obviously has very little commercial appeal except for like for sickos <laughs> so i don't know i walked out of the theater thinking like this is very clearly the most special movie i've seen all year and i think it and you know i think it will stick with me as that like high on my like best of 2022 list as the year goes on so i, I wanted an opportunity to share it with you even if it, it doesn't register at the same like enthusiastic high for you uh it, it definitely feels like an important achievement just in getting across the finishing line i am glad that i have seen it and you know i watched it with matt and we got you know it also felt that was the other thing about the timing of it that i wanted to bring up is that like when we were maybe seven minutes in i looked at the time and it felt like it had only been 30 seconds it felt like the movie had just barely started. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, we're like almost eight minutes into this. Oh, the time's going to fly by. And then got to the 40 minute mark and thought it was over only to learn that there was like 40 minutes left. And so I think that it screws with time. That just makes it a little bit more surreal and a little bit more weird and a little bit more dreamlike. So I don't know that I can recommend it for anyone other than sickos. <laughs> but i am glad that we watched it and you know if you've already got shutter you're a sicko bro go ahead and give it a watch yeah. <laughs> in new orleans halloween tends to bring out the strange and spectacular side of this truly unique city some people say rest in peace but what if you can't? But it's a spirit we embrace year-round, considered one of the most haunted places in the country. We've had a very heavy concentration of death in a relatively small period of time. The original French settlers were warned not to build a city here, that the area was cursed. They had to deal with everything from yellow fever, snakes, the murder rate was high, it was pretty bad. Sydney Smith with Haunted History Tours explores the city's spectral past every day, all based on true events. Tens of thousands have lost their lives in the French Quarter alone from disease, massive fires, and killings. Our city's history is strange enough. We don't have to fictionalize it. And now I'm joined by Bill Arsenault of Movie Going with Bill, who's been on the show recently discussed New Orleans Film Festival. Uh, as our unofficial festival correspondent, apparently, because you're back to talk about Overlook. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here and happy to be the uh, unofficial uh, guy for film festival stuff. <laughs> although although I, I would say you did a much better job covering the uh, film festival than I did, the Overlook. Uh, I, I mean, I had a lot of stuff going on at the same time, but you saw way more movies than I did. I spent four days in the food court outside Britannia Canal Place just waiting for movies to start and not doing anything else with my time. I used to do that uh, for the film, the New Orleans Film Festival like in the years before I actually became a, uh, a more professional film critic. Uh, me and a friend would just hang out in the court area at the old Canal Place before it was the Britannia, uh, before it was even um, that uh, upscale canal place location you know what back when it was just just canal place and we would hang out in the little court and everything and then they would let people in for the next uh round of films uh i remember i think the first film we saw was um killer of sheep which we mistakenly oh, we mistakenly thought was a horror film going into it <laughs> we were like oh this must be like a horror film because we didn't see what the synopsis was and then we see it, and I'm like, "Wow, this is actually very beautiful. This is this is a wonderful film." And my friend was like, 
That wasn't what I expected at all. It's <laughs> like I don't care. You got care. treated to an art house classic. We had an art house classic. Then the next one was Suffering Man's Charity, which is now called Ghost Rider, written and directed by Alan Cummings, who was there for it. Oh, cool! And he he came out and um, he made like a crack about Bono or something, and uh, and was like, uh, "Yeah, I hope you guys like the film." And of course, it was a fine little comedy, that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that we would spend our time right outside the fest and. Or walking in the, on the riverfront and stuff, and then just go right back in. So I don't do that as much anymore. I don't know why. I wish I wish I I could return to that mode. I think I've gotten spoiled with um, PR people. screeners at home. Screeners sending me screeners links. I feel like there's almost like a an obligation to watch those over watching them in the theater because the PR people went to so much effort, you know. And you're seeing movies the way they're meant to be seen, with your email address plastered right over the center of the frame. Yeah, I just watched <laughs> one today that was exactly like that. Plus, it also had a marker saying what the film was, just in case I didn't know. <laughs> what am I watching again? Yeah, what is this? Oh, right. I will say the first hour I was at Overlook this year, I saw the most, like, I don't want to say celebrities, but, like, people I know from movies in the lobby, like... I was waiting in line to get my like COVID wristband because everyone had to be, you know, vaccinated oh, right. and boosted to get in. And um I, I had to like squeeze past Mick Garris. Uh oh. I was like, oh, Are you waiting in line? <laughs> He's like, Yeah, I'm waiting. All right. <laughs> and then um later I talked to this guy who was in Beast Beast, a movie that was on my top ten list last year, and he was just hanging out watching films because I guess he had something else at the festival. Oh, who who was it in Beast Beast? I, I saw that. The really scary YouTuber Gun Nut. <laughs> I told him he was terrifying. That dude, yeah, he was he was terrifying in the sense that he was real. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. those those people exist. <laughs> you know. Yeah, he played a very vulnerable person who was like steered wrong by the wrong at- kind of attention on the internet. But um, yeah, that performance yeah. is very chilling. Definitely, definitely. That, that's pretty cool. I remember I uh, I went to a um, a Britannia Uptown showing of uh, Encounters at the End of the World, the the Herzog documentary set in Antarctica. Yeah, I was there with a friend of mine, another friend of mine, and uh, we're waiting at the box office because I think I had purchased tickets beforehand, but I didn't. I, you know, I had to go pick them up. And uh, I look to my right, and there's the cinematographer Peter Zeitlinger, and I go, oh. And that was it. That was the encounter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I never know what to say to people. We met him later at a bar uh, later that evening. And I I told my friend, I was like, hey, that's the cinematographer for the the movie. And for Herzog, you know, he's going to be doing Bad Lieutenant, uh, which was coming up for production. And uh, at the time, and my friend uh, talks to him and goes like, hey, man, how's it going? You know, oh, yeah, it's going very well. You know, and then uh, my friend's like, what kind of shit are you getting up to tonight? And uh, (laughs) Zatlinger was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> and my friend goes, never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind. You're not on the same page. I was like, why would you ask the guy that? Like, this guy's at this like really dingy bar and he's asking for a bottle of nice wine. What kind of <laughs> shit is he getting up to? He's probably just going to drink the wine and go to his hotel. Like, I, he just, I don't know. He didn't come off to me like like some cokehead or anything, you know? And if he were, well, that's none of our business. Yeah, I, I never know what to say to people like... I was in line for the opening night movie, um, Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Yeah. And the director, Anna Lily Amapur, was like walking around the line kind of trolling people. Like she was asking 
what everyone was coming to see, even though her movie was the only thing playing. <laughs> <laughs> and people didn't really like have a response, like almost like they didn't even know what they were there for. And then she ended up taking selfies with people. And then she did this intro where she made a weird Johnny Depp joke that still hasn't sit right with me <laughs> in the weeks since. But... <laughs> she's, she's kind of, I don't know what she is like in terms of like her public persona. I don't know how to describe it, but I remember for her film, the bad batch, she did a Q and a, and there was a, a, a critic who asked her like a very uh, insightful question. And her response was basically to antagonize the critic. You yeah. Know, she was like, she was like, how dare you ask me that, you know, or, or something along those lines. And, I thought that was very uh, peculiar. You know, it wasn't the the critic wasn't insulting her. She, you know, she was just asking a question. She's got kind of like an L.A. dirtbag energy a little bit, where like, <laughs> like kind of like an anti woke thing going on with her. Oh, okay. That's the vibe I get anyway. Actually, it was kind of an interesting intro because um, the movie set in New Orleans. Yeah. And there was recently a blood moon <laughs> that everyone saw <laughs> because the moon oh. was everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> And then I think it was like a week before the show was when that guy smeared cake on the Mona Lisa, the Louvre. And she mentioned all of these things as sort of like, like a cosmic gumbo, like leading up to like this magical night where, you know, all the various like elements of her film had like come together. And then um, she ended it with Johnny Depp and lifted her fist in the air. And uh, Oh, God. I don't want to make to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, she may have been doing that ironically, or maybe she genuinely meant it. Because there are a lot of people, especially some that I know, uh, film critics, who are very pro-Johnny Depp. There's a lot that aren't. There's a lot that are like, this is totally misogynistic, or this is something I don't want to get involved in. And then there are some that are, like you said, raising their fists in the air, like, yeah, Team Depp, or whatever the hashtag is. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just like, leave me out of this. I don't know how you feel about her actual movies, but like, her debut was very good. Oh, a girl walks... Home Alone at Night. I love that movie. Yeah. I had it on Blu-ray for a while, but I think I uh, gave it to a friend or something. Um, and The Bad Batch, I actually really enjoyed. Oh, really? I, th I thought it was kind of a step down. Maybe it was a step down in, in a sense, but I think it was also a step up in another sense. Well, scale. <laughs> it's a much scale, more expensive yeah, sure, scale-wise, yeah. But, but you know, it, it was maybe like a sideways step, like a curveball, you know? It was... I wasn't expecting that from her, you know, and uh, after seeing the first movie that she did, you know, you got like Jim Carrey as this silent, uh, slightly happy-go-lucky wanderer in this desert. You've got, uh, what's his face, um, Aquaman as this uh, ex-gang member or something who was also a cannibal. Clearly, he was butchering dead bot or, you know, meat, human meat, and uh, that was the thing in the movie. Yeah, Keanu Reeves is this like uh what was he? He was like the the, the cult Hugh leader. Hathor. Yeah, the cult leader guy. Uh the movie was certainly its own thing. I mean, I haven't I don't recall another movie kind of like it in my head, you know. So I'll give her that. Like she's her films are pretty uh memorable, I think. You know, they stick out and stand on their own. I like her as like a stylist. Like she has like a rainbow store, like fast fashion look to it. And she uses a lot of like pop music cues that are like oh, sure. very fun and like retro and like a semi ironic way. And you know, the subjects are always like really great. Like she has these like really high concept like horror premises, but then she plays them really underplayed and like laid back and cool. 
Yeah, I appreciate her sense of humor in the movies, not necessarily in real life, <laughs> but in <Yeah>. the movies, <laughs> I really do appreciate her sense of humor, uh, especially the dark sense of humor that, that she, she can bring to it. Uh, when she starts pumping her fist for Johnny Depp, that's where I'm kind of like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I would describe her new one as kind of like a, a slacker, like um, Harmony Corinne style comedy. So you might like it more than I did, but I, even I thought it was fine. Like, I, I didn't dislike it. What era Harmony Corinne? Are we talking like Gummo era or are we talking Spring Breakers era? I would say halfway between Spring Breakers and Trash Humpers. <laughs> oh my God. So like we're, we're talking Mr. Lonely. There's just kind of like an aimlessness to both of their work where it's like trying to slightly offend you, but not really. It's like very nihilistic and how like unconcerned it is with politics and That's interesting. her character in this one, like the main protagonist is um like escaped from a mental institution outside of the city and has these like Carrie style telekinetic powers. And she like goes into New Orleans and hooks up with like a stripper and some other like drug hustler guys and basically just wants to not be hassled. Like she just wants to eat junk food and watch TV. And it's only when people like interfere with her slacking that she like uses her powers to like get them to leave her alone. <laughs> so it's a very like low stakes sci-fi horror thing. Sounds like an alternative vision of fast color with Gugu Umbatha Raw. Oh, I always wanted to see that. Yeah, it's very good. You know, it, it was it's kind of similar. This this woman is wanting to be left alone. She has these very special powers that involve the weather and but she's being tracked by the government because they feel like she can help them with uh, climate-related problems. Like, there's a, a massive drought all over the world. Meanwhile, she has to hook up with her family and learn about a lineage, of, of a uh, female lineage in her family that passed down through generations of this power. Uh, it's a very good movie, but um, what you're, the synopsis you're describing is is like the slacker version of that. It's It's more like... <laughs> I just want to eat Pop Rocks and drink Sprite and lounge around. I don't want anyone to bother me. So yeah, Harmony Corinne making Fast Color. I'm 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 fine settling on that description. That's that's, that's interesting. <laughs> like it, it was a good intro for tourists because a lot of the people who came to the festival were obviously from like L.A. and New York and Chicago. Oh sure, and. It was so localized that, like, there were shots of the building we were watching the movies in in the film. Like, there's a scene where she's robbing people at the ATM, and you can see the Canal Place Mall, like, in the background. I've probably been to that that very ATM, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Probably. Well, beware of scammers um, with telekinetic powers next time you're pulling money from there. Well, you were not bumming around Canal Place with me. You were watching these from the safety of your home. So yes, I don't know what movies you went to because I didn't run into you. So you have to you have to tell me what did you see at the festival and what did you like? I didn't see anything at the festival. I didn't get to go to it this year. Virtually, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> womp womp. I you know had a lot going on. Uh, I got sick recently, which I'm getting better from. It's fine. As a matter of fact, this week I was I was so sick they asked me to do jury duty and they don't give a shit if you're sick. Whoa. Which I thankfully did not get put on a jury. I, I just was questioned and. They were like, okay, we don't want you by. They are desperate for people right now. Everyone's getting notices in the mail. Yeah, and, and that's fine. I don't I don't mind jury duty. It's just I can understand why it's, you know, not convenient and everything. But 
uh, I was more nervous than anything because I've never actually been on a jury. I've gone in for duty, but I've never been on a jury. But uh, no, this year I didn't get to go to the Overlook. Uh, I really wanted to because I know that um, they had a Norco exhibit for the video game Norco. Yeah. I did buy it recently, uh, and I've been me- meaning to get through the rest of it. I've played a little bit of it, and I really love it so far. Um, I love reading reviews of it. it, it there, there seems to be a lot of really good engagement from um, video game critics and even some film critics who've, who've played it a little bit. There was that, and of course there was a movie that I did see because it, it was like playing in the theater as it was playing on Twitch, Nosferatu. 2. I was very curious about that one because it's not even like a typical just like feature film, right? Yeah, no, it's oh my goodness, this this was almost like a an art exhibit, you know, like like I've been to some. Um, I, I remember once, like uh, mid two thousands, maybe it was before Katrina. Actually, um, I went to a um, this uh, art exhibit that a friend of one of my cousins was having, and he had like some video installations and paintings and stuff mostly it was paintings of the band kiss like this is like my childhood <laughs> man I'm, I'm like okay so you like star wars and kiss well that's kind of cool that's most of a personality that's like 75 percent of the way there do you have a live journal i could read maybe a dead journal is more appropriate um a dead journal <laughs> i wonder if there ever was one i, I maybe there was a geocities uh site that was kind of like that i don't know but no there was a, there was a dead journal alternative in case you were like a little too gloomy and goth for a live journal uh there's like a an old version people could get gloomy and goth with live journal i've read some <laughs> some people, people get dark uh but we can talk all night and day about that um <laughs> Nosferat 2, this is kind of, I thought this was going to be a live performance, like a live cinema edit remix performance, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola wrote a book called Live Cinema and Its Techniques, and he kind of described it uh, as like a a live remix of uh, scenes. You know, what scenes best play to the audience? You know, well, if they like this, they'll like this more. So he'd reorder the movie in different ways while it's playing. And uh, I think he did that a little bit with uh, Twixt uh, when he did a, a roadshow of it, but he hasn't done anything like that since or even mentioned it. He just did a book and that was it. So I thought Nosferat 2 was going to be like that. Uh, the reason why I'm saying Nosferat 2 is because it's Nosferat and the number two. Uh, this is uh, a play on the title of the F.W. Murnau uh, horror classic Nosferatu, which was an unofficial workaround uh, of the copyright of Dracula, a very brilliant one. So they didn't have to pay uh, uh, the the family of the author, you know, uh, <laughs> any royalties. They were just like, oh, let's just call it Nosferatu, whatever. <laughs> uh, and of course, it turned out to be a great film. It's one of the best horror from one of the scariest, in my opinion. You know, I I, I get creeped out watching it uh, all the time whenever I do turn it on. And this particular performance, you know, while it wasn't live, it was definitely a full edit that was made beforehand. It reminded me very much of the fan edit community. Uh, and if people out there don't know what the, what a fan edit is, it's basically when a fan of a particular movie or genre takes an already existing film and cuts it up or adds stuff to it to make a whole new version, kind of like a director's cut might or an extended cut might. 
you know, or someone derates it. Like from if it was rated R, now it's rated PG. What would that look like? Uh, my favorite fan edit is actually the Grindhouse cut of Star Wars: A New Hope, where they <laughs> add they, they added Neil Young to the uh, Mos Eisley Cantina. They actually cut wow. in a performance of his and kind of color graded it to match. Uh, they added blood spurts, you know, all sorts of stuff. You know, it's it's pretty wicked. Are you familiar with um, Racer Trash? Yes, actually, the guys who did this this movie Nosferatu came from Racer Trash. Oh, I wish I had known that. Yeah, the people who do this are um, Dream Video Division. I don't know much else about them. There isn't much other much else much information about them other than they say they came from Racer Trash, or they were an art collective that used to be associated with Racer Trash. Okay, okay, something along those lines. But anyway, the way this project came about was uh, basically Overlook uh, contacted them and commissioned some kind of uh, project that was within the public domain or which Nosferatu, I believe, is. And um, they were like, yeah, hell yeah, we'll do this, you know. And what came was a movie that was way longer than it probably should have been. But this isn't really a movie. It's more of like a an experience uh, or uh, an LSD trip done up in a movie, or not even a movie, done up in a video window form. I, it's really difficult <laughs> for me to figure out what this is because I'm usually pretty good at defining uh, for myself what I've watched. <laughs> um, the movie started with um, this really weird and groovy, like cut together combination of old school commercials and movie clips that kind of, you know, like uh, Count Chocula. They put in Count Chocula right. stuff basically to set you up. This is going to be about vampires, you know, or this is going to have something to do with vampires. That's kind of how uh, everything is terrible, like some mashup movies go. They have like a very broad range of like commercial art. Yeah, it was almost like that. It was like um, Doki Wadi's Poochie Woochies, you know, the <laughs> which was their version of the Holy Mountain by Alejandro yeah. Jodorowsky, uh, which I love. I love that you could do stuff like that. But um, the movie then goes into like a thirty-minute music video rambling segment, which reminded me of the movie Odd Sack. And if you haven't seen Odd Sack, it's up and full on YouTube. It's directed by Animal Collective, the band, and scored by them and everything. It's 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 like a moving musical, or rather, do you remember Winamp, the software? Oh yeah. I think if I remember correctly, Winamp had like a um, whenever you would play something, uh, play a song, it would have a kind of like one of those heart rate scales, like a visualizer. Yeah, a visualizer. This was like that, but visualizing with clips and colors and transitions. If you can visualize that, that's kind of what that was. And then finally Nosferatu starts. So we're like 45 minutes in and the actual presentation hadn't begun yet. And I'm like almost dozing off. (laughs) This isn't to say it's bad. Uh, The beginning was bad. It's not to say that. It's to say that. I got the point early on what was happening and I loved it. I loved the colors. I loved the the technique, but I was like, I was reminded of something that a quote from the cartoon show, Doug, there was an art exhibit that they were participating, the characters were participating in. And um, this art critic comes in and uh, he's looking at a painting and he's like, this is, this is marvelous. And this other 
you know, art lady is like, uh, what about this painting over here? It's got technique. And he goes, I could teach a dog technique. <laughs> you know, and then there was an episode of The Simpsons where uh, this college professor's like, uh, and birds go tweet. What else? You know, tell me more <laughs> about this thing. You know, I was like, shit, you know. And then the movie starts. So this is where things really get go great. You know, you got this introduction where it's almost like it's almost like Man on the Moon, where the movie starts with Andy Kaufman, uh, by played by Jim Carrey. You know, saying like "Go home, it's done, bye," and then he comes right back in. And he's like, "Wow, you're still here." You know, the other people wouldn't understand. You know, it's almost like that, like they're weeding out the audience. It was an endurance test. The yeah, right, and I almost failed, uh, <laughs> but I but I stuck around. You know, and. Um, yeah, the movie is Nosferatu, you know, the, the original F.W. Murnau film in order, but it's also, it's weird. It's like it takes these, these elements from movies, obscure movies that I've seen, like uh, the recent Timekeepers of Eternity, which was based, uh, it was like a recut or re-edit uh, of uh, the TV miniseries, uh, The Langoliers, based on a Stephen King novel or story. And it was it was done with uh, kind of a stop motion sense. It was it was like every frame was printed on Xerox paper, and then they cut out some and put in little bits where they could like uh, create effects. And they that then they played it in order. They recorded each shot like that in order, and uh, it made for a really weird textural experience. This was it used elements like that where they cut up the frame. And I met, I think this was done digitally. I don't think they actually physically did anything, but uh, uh, you would see like Nosferatu pop out and be placed against another background. <laughs> and then you would see uh, other characters, the same thing happen. You would hear pop music playing or you would hear original music playing uh, when something new or startling happened in the film. For example, uh, the beginning. Uh, the main character is about to leave his wife to go make a business deal at Nosferatu's house, or rather Count Orlock's house, castle, whatever. Uh, he's about to make a real estate deal. And um, as he's about to leave, there's this, you know, romantic music playing, but also sad music playing. And you get this, like, vibe from it that it's trying to tell the story in a, in a, in a deeper sense, like, um, like a silent film usually would. The silent film would do it, you know, you got the movie, you got the, ti the title cards uh, and dialogue cards, but then you also got the music. And the music is really where you're, it kind of guides your feeling, you know, like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be you know, interpreting right here. And the best silent films always have it where it's live, you know, that to me, like, right. where it's like, dun dun, you know, something startling happens or, you know, bump, bum, 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 bum. people are walking and they do like the doom, doom. Doom, 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 when they're running, you know, uh, it was like that, but heightened, much more hyper. Uh, it reminded me of a music video uh, for the New Amsterdam's uh, song "Fountain of Youth," which I, I'm going to have to like link to you later if you want to see it. Basically, it, it follows the lyrics of the song and cuts in clips that kind of match exactly what they're singing about and how they're singing about it. And then the clips go away when those elements stop and new elements come in. It's like a visualizer. You know, it, it just kind of matches the tone and, 
you know, the literal expression of what's happening. And that's the, that's the rest of the presentation. It's, it's exactly like that. It's, it's this deeper way of experiencing Nosferatu and um, kind of, in a way, a, a, an odd criticism of uh, a wonderful criticism uh, uh, or essay on, uh, on these kind of old Gothic horror films. Uh, and maybe even of film exhibition itself. Uh, this this is not something that I think is going to screen often or at all. I don't think it's even going to be made available on DVD. Uh, someone asked that, and they just never responded <laughs> to the people behind <laughs> it. They're just like, whatever. In fact, I asked them. I was like, hey, is it possible to get a screener for this, just in case if I don't make it to the thing? You know, because this is when I thought I was going to make it to the live production, the live uh, screening. And they never responded. They never got back in touch with me. Uh, but thankfully, they put it on Twitch. And as the, the comment section was going on, people were some people were actually there in the theater. And there were like live Twitch. Oh, wow. Which I didn't think it was possible. I don't know much about some of that stuff, you know. And I guess they must have allowed it. Like maybe the, like an official person with them. I don't know. But uh, they were like, oh, man, the room's kicking. It's like a freaking rave in here. And I was like, is it really like a rave or are people just sitting down and their just minds are blown? I mean, it depends on if you were on the right drugs or not. Yeah, I got, oh, there you go. Right. And I did see pictures from the Overlook uh, Instagram where they actually had uh, like a band in there playing yeah. and, and stuff. So I, I know stuff like that happened. They also had like a live psychedelic score of Hexan elsewhere in the festival as well. Yeah, I, I heard about that. I heard that was pretty cool. But, uh, I, I, what I'm saying when I doubt it was like a rave, I, I mean, like, I doubt the audience got up and started raving. <laughs> they were probably just watching and maybe even, you know, chuckling here and there or being surprised and in awe, like a movie going audience would be. Uh, I was like, okay, dude, you don't need to be that superlative. You know, you don't need to. <laughs> hey, neither of us were in that room. We don't know what was snorted off or where or what was inserted into who. That's true. I was not there. Yeah. I would imagine he was probably the, the person was probably describing the bombasticness of it. The, if right. that's a word, you know, like the, the sound and the lights and the visuals and everything. And I imagine there were a lot of walkouts probably because uh, there's only so much of that stuff that people will take. Even people going into it who know what to expect. You know, I, hell, I almost gave up. And I love this, this stuff. You know, uh, that was the beginning portion when when the movie kicked in that's where i i stayed um and loved it uh but since it's it's probably they showed it a couple more times on twitch if i'm not mistaken like two more times like encores but i I don't think they're they're going to show it anymore uh so it might go back in their vault for a while (laughs) probably for copyright reasons you know even though nosferatu itself doesn't have you know it's public domain I think they use clips from various, you know, movies that that aren't in the public domain, and yeah, that might be an issue. So uh, it, it'll probably be something where like you'll see it on like someone might accidentally upload it to Pirate Bay or. <laughs> hey, when we watched uh, the Great Satan for this podcast, uh, which was another Everything Is Terrible title, it was on Tubi with ads. So someone found a way to monetize oh. that. 
There you go. Maybe maybe there's some permission there. I don't I don't know. I don't know what yeah. crack legal team they have at uh, everything is terrible, but they they figured it out. Maybe they, maybe they get tax write offs with all the the donations they get for the Jerry Maguire VHS tapes. Right, right, right. Uh, they go like, hey, we got another one. We'll just write it a thing and send it off to the government and all. But I loved it. I loved uh, Nosferatu. It had a lot of great uh, special effects throughout. Uh, the big one for me was data moshing. And if people out there aren't aware of what data moshing is, it's basically when, uh, basically like, um, uh, what do you call it? It's like an error uh, in a video. Like glitching. Glitching. Yes, it's glitch art. And uh, you can do it at home with certain software. You can, uh, I think, FFmpeg. Uh, uh, is one of the pieces of software you can use. Uh, basically, you take a video, you take a couple frames out of it, then you add another video to it or another clip or whatever, and it bleeds into each other, or one bleeds into the other, and it, it creates this wonderful blooming effect. Always a great scare gag in those like laptop-framed horror films like Unfriended or Host or something, where you can really obscure what's going on and like create like a ambiguity of like supernatural events. Right. My, my only issue with, with, with the, the usage of that in those movies is that it never happens uh, in real life, even supernatural. It's kind of like static uh, cable that it, that happened back in the day when we had actual coax cable, but now it's, you know, if your signal is lost, the screen will just say signal lost. I can't wait until this discord session is interrupted by a real life ghost and you are proven wrong right before my eyes. And the <laughs> just, screen just starts glitching out. It just starts going. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, Oh, well score one for Brandon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, that was Nosferat two. Uh, I loved it. I, uh, I wish I'd been there live in person, but uh, I wasn't, but I was there in spirit on Twitch and for that, I thank Dream Video Division for doing and for making for everyone. Well, I know we both saw a uh, laptop framed horror film in the style of Unfriended at the festival as well. Yeah, we saw Deadstream. I mean, you saw it in the theater. I saw it during the festival, but at home. Uh, this is coming to, if I'm not mistaken, coming to Shudder in like a month or two. Oh, wow. Maybe, that's soon. Maybe, maybe a little more. I don't know. But it's coming to Shutter this year. That only surprises me because it doesn't have an official poster yet. Like uh, all of the like promotional material for the film is just a screenshot of the guy's nose being picked by the demon ghost. Right. And that's uh, disturbing. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it was like fast tracked for released based on how it plays at festivals because it absolutely killed in the room. Like I oh, went in with like yeah. relatively low expectations because I watch a lot of these laptop framed like screen life horror films. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Yeah, I I'm always hungry for more. I think the last time I saw you at a movie theater was for Unfriended too. Like I'm always there for <laughs> it. And because of that, I've seen so many bad ones that like my expectations are relatively low every time I go in now. And this yeah. one just like had constant big laughs the whole time. Like everyone loved it. It almost feels like a parody of these kind of movies. But the funny thing is, it's not because there are YouTube personalities that that are exactly like this. You know, like the character uh, Sean Ruddy, 
that that's the main character of the film. I was extremely impressed with Deadstream. Uh, I loved it. As a matter of fact, it's on my top, uh, so far, my favorites list of, of the year. It's in my top five or six right now, yeah. Oh, wow, that high. I had, I had it like an eight. I think now it's at 12 or something, but just to, for... It's an arbitrary list. It doesn't matter, but but it's on there. Oh, wait. I have it at number eight, actually. That was wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, people say that, that there aren't enough great movies that come out every year. I, I disagree with that. I think every movie, every uh, year has really great movies uh, oh, and an abundance of them. You know, that's just me. But I, I tend to rate movies more like five stars than... Um, than zero stars. I, I, uh, I just love movies, you know, and uh, I'm able to find the, the best qualities in them. And um, with regards to Deadstream, uh, that wasn't difficult. It, it, this is an excellent horror comedy, really. I, I saw a lot of Evil Dead in it. Oh, for sure. You know, a lot of Sam Raimi in it. Um, the film is basically this, 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 you, well, it's not, they don't say YouTube. In fact, I think they say, um, what what's the name of the the platform he's on? Uh, live it, live in it, or something. I don't know. Oh, it's livid. It's like live a vid. Uh, oh yeah, he's there. and he's and ironically he's livid. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> he, uh, he he's a YouTube personality that does um, like stunts or pranks, like uh, things that scare him, and he goes out and does it. You know, I think that is pretty realistic to YouTube people because he has that like childish way of talking almost like he's hosting blues clues or something he is like a child <laughs> he's doing totally. really unwholesome activities like <laughs> you know those pranks are not cool they're like morally abject wrong they're repugnant <laughs> and, and sometimes lame but he presents them as if it's like a cute thing that he's doing because he, it's like ryan reynolds like oh shucks ain't i a stinker or kind some of kind of service to the community you know, yeah, uh, it's weird. Like he 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 does this thing where he throws something at, at some cops. He's like, "Hey, pigs!" And then he starts running. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm running for the cops. You know, that was like one of his fears. And then they say they have these articles pop up on the screen that say like uh, Sean Ruddy canceled or left off. You know, he's banned from Livid and stuff like that. And uh, he has to do an apology video, and you know, we don't see it, but he has to. You know, he the way it, it the beginning is cut together. It's exactly like one of those kinds of videos would be cut together on YouTube, you know, by one of these uh, unboxing personnel, you know, like the guys who go, today we're unboxing this, or today we're cooking this, or today we're doing, you know, people that are like desperate and um, are like me. <laughs> I, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, I was trying to like, you know, oh, bash them, but promoting yourself on the internet is vulnerable and Yes. cringy by default but you have to do it you have to do it you always feel bad about doing it sean ruddy does not feel bad about doing it no shameless he is he is totally 100 percent without shame he gets in trouble and later in the movie we find out why he was banned in the first place it was like some kind of um bum well don't fights. spoil that <laughs> oh, oh well, well come on it's not that big of a deal i mean it, yeah it's not you're right it really has nothing to do with the rest of the movie it's just I'm so sorry. I did. And as a matter of fact, he, he actually makes it remains. It, it remains kind of vague because he, he starts listing various different things. Like there were more things that it's not just <laughs> one specific. Like I thought the way I had it in my head, it was like a bum fight thing. But then he starts listing other sh other stuff. I was going to say sh uh, the S word, but uh, I'm, I uh, you can it. curse all you want. <laughs> OK, he was about to say other shit. 
And uh, and he did. He's like, I'm so sorry I did this. I I thought the homeless guy was like that. And I was like, holy crap, this guy's really, you know. Uh, But of course, he's being faced with the supernatural uh, force that he unleashed. It's really, it's a really unique, uh, I don't even know if I should call it screen life. I would call it stream life. (laughs) Because it's literally that. He's live streaming and it's kind of happening in real time. This is his return engagement to his audience, his live audience. And it's a haunted house, basically, that he's going to. And, you know, he's like, he's like, oh, wow, this is going to be so scary. And he's not doing it ironically. It's almost like, or, or if he is, he's performing it to his audience as if he really believes it. And he's got all these, he's got GoPros and he's using duct tape and he's, He's got like this, uh, which was an awesome device, this tablet that has multiple cameras uh, set up on it. So he could like click and he's like live editing. Yeah. Live editing. Right. He's also got his own um, score on his Walkman that he like presses play on it for tense moments. I love that. That was that was a good setup because later it comes back and and is used in other ways. And uh, like when stuff really hits the fan and uh, (laughs) when shit hits the fan, Uh, (laughs) the, the movie goes to these these fun places and i love it when movies are just fun you know it's there's no you know pretension there's no uh deeper meaning to it it's just what it is i think they were smart in their choice of villain too because like yeah there's no like really complicated morality to it like it's basically just watching a bad person get punished like it's no more complex than like an episode of tales from the crypt or something like it's very like old-fashioned horror in that way but their choice in villain is this like ghost of a woman who wrote poetry. She was like a Mormon shut in and wrote these like Emily Dickinson style poems that were just never discovered. And she basically like hijacks his live stream to get her poetry (laughs) out in the world. So she's just another like internet hustler like him just from beyond the grave. And I thought that was like a really complex thought for this kind of movie. Um, Because it could have just been like nonstop gags. Yeah, I guess that is the one element that uh, that was kind of commenting on things. If it was a comment, Uh, (laughs) it may have just been a a tenuous, uh, you know, thing that happened. But uh, I just like that everyone has a grift and everyone is always brand conscious, uh, no matter what they're doing. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, absolutely. You know, wasn't there that one part where he was like, uh, you know, or actually there are multiple parts where he pulls out an energy drink. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this is healthy for people uh, over 18. And he's like, you know, it just, just starts chugging it. Uh, and he's got a wonderful laugh or no, it's a wonderful scream, but it sounds right. like a whiny laugh. He's like, huh? you know, I can't do it, but, <laughs> but it, he does it multiple times. It, it's kind of, I, I don't want to say it's jump scares, but it, it, the movie has great, um, Oh, a lot of gross out gags and yes. unexpected, like practical mutant makeup, you know, like some like really creepy, like ooey gooey monsters just coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good vomiting, a lot of good, uh, <laughs> a lot of good blood effects, a lot of good, um, like you said, makeup and, and all that. And really it's a very um, limited environment. You know, it's just a house yeah. for the most part. And it's really just him and the the demon and maybe a couple other ghostly characters here and there uh, for the most part. And it's choreographed very well. You can't really see the seams, probably because the seams are in so many different windows that you would have to really like, 
you know, pay attention. It's almost like that movie Time Code by Mike Figgis, which was a movie that was split in four screens all, all, all at once. I didn't see that, but I did see the new um, the new Gaspar Noe Vortex that came out a couple months ago, and it was like split screen for the entire film. Was that Vortex? I thought that was Lux Aeterna. Oh, he did two movies like that this year. <laughs> I only two, saw Vortex. That, that, Vortex is like that too, because Vortex, yeah. I thought was like a movie about like an elderly couple. Yeah, it's uh, Dario Argento and a French actress whose name is escaping me. Um, they yeah. live in the same house, but he's got like heart problems and she's suffering from dementia. And like because of their separate maladies to their bodies, they're living these like separate lives in the same apartment. And the entire movie is like split screens and you kind of just watch them. So he's got two separately movies. That's <laughs> yeah. funny. Uh, now, time code is more like um, you got these four different cameras, and they're kind of jumping from character to character. But it's all happening in real time. It's it's all choreographed over this like ninety minute period, and uh, it's all completely in sync. You know, it's really amazing how it's done. I think they did fifteen run- runs of it before they reached the one they they eventually used for the movie itself. So I wonder if they did something similar with uh, with Deadstream because it I couldn't see I couldn't tell if there were any um, uh, legitimate cuts you know like transitions oh, like, or anything as, like that as far know? as like the one cut like gimmick like the continuous shot yeah yeah it, it was almost like that that I'm sure they hid some stuff but I think they do find a way to break away from that because they pull in clips of audience participation where someone will do research at home to like in the, you know, in the house, he'll uncover like a ghostly like figure or um, like something written on the wall or some detail about the ghost's life before she died. And then like people at home will log on to the livid like chat and like update him with like the research they found in their own time. Yeah. They'll say stuff like Sean, you're effed. Right. right. Sean's like, what? No, dude, don't bring that up. (laughs) You know? And you'll see the chat, you know, window too, as 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 everything's happening in real time. And uh, he'll pull it up every once in a while on purpose. And you'll see all sorts of comments, you know, like uh, like, dude, this is lame. I saw this last week on some other channel, or uh, <laughs> or oh my god, Sean, run, run for your fucking life, you know, and and this and that. Like the guy pulls his spark plugs out of his car because he's thinking that he's gonna. He wants to show his audience, I'm serious about this. I'm going to stay in this haunted house all night. I, I'm not going to drive away. Then when he has to go back and use it, he's like, oh, wait, I threw him away. <laughs> you know, but it was great. It, it, I, I would, I mean, this was an excellent film. This was um, a genuine surprise because I knew hardly anything about this. I think the, the lead character is the director, right? Yeah, him and his um, romantic partner are like co-directors on it. Um, she was there to answer questions. I mean, he was not, so I don't know what he was busy with, but uh, I got to ask her about the house itself, and apparently they had written the, like, overall story, but then they had to, like, re-choreograph everything once they found the shooting location. Oh, I bet. Which makes sense, because they are all over every inch of that house. And basically it was like, they, like, kick out squatters every night, and, like, uh, it was, like, condemned, (laughs) practically, like, falling apart, yeah. Oh, excuse me, guys, you gotta leave, we're gonna do a shoot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Although I'm sure all the graffiti they were adding in the background only, you know, added to the ambiance of the place because it looked very lived in and like genuinely grimy. Yeah, I wonder if they actually had to mess up that bed or if the the bed was already messed up. Ugh, that tub of just black oozy oh, water is the most disgusting shit I've seen in a movie in a while. <laughs> 
Well, I know the third movie you saw at the festival also had a lot of grossed out gags in it as well. <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about it. And I just, well, yeah. I, I just saw it like a little while ago. I saw the rewatch of it. Um, I needed a refresher on why I, uh, why I felt the way I felt. Uh, it's a movie called Swallowed. And it's one of those movies where it doesn't show the title until the very end. You know, the end credits thing. It's almost like... Uh, I don't, I don't know why people, filmmakers do that, but I'm okay with it, you know, but it's one of those kind of movies where it just starts with uh, the opening scene and then it kind of goes from there. Uh, the movie is about two, I guess, best friends, uh, one of whom is about to move to L.A. from a small town to be a uh, gay porn star or just a porn star. I'm not ex- they're not really clear what kind of porn he's going to do, but uh definitely gay porn. <laughs> okay, they, he's a he he himself is gay his character, but I I wasn't sure exactly. In the end credits they show him celebrating at the Gay Porn Awards. Oh yeah, they did show that, but uh swallowed uh is about these two best friends and they're celebrating his last uh or one of his last nights in town and his straight best friend wants to give him the last parting gift. And it's a sack of, basically it's a bunch of money. But in order to get it, he has to meet up with Jenna Malone and do a drug deal. Uh, that's the setup for the film. And not just to do the drug deal, but he's uh, got to smuggle it himself uh, over the border. They, they don't really say which border. I guess it's the Mexican border. I think it's Canadian, actually. Oh, is it Canadian? Okay, I assume Mexico, but. I'm just basing that on the, like, woodland um, area uh, yeah, they're in yeah, for the second half really... of the film. Yeah, it wasn't really that dessert. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't really thinking. Uh, <laughs> I was more focused on, like, the gags and the gagging. Oh, there's plenty to distract you from the setting. Yeah, this, this movie is very awkward and uncomfortable. I, I think you should go, people should go in knowing. At the same time, it, it, the um, before I get into the more uh, things... Uh, I should say that Cooper Koch, who plays uh, the lead character, the um, the gay friend, uh, is, I found, to be very excellent in the movie. He, he gives a really great performance, uh, and I, I think that should be uh, noted uh, big time. I, I haven't seen anything else he's done. I think he's going to be in a new movie this year called They, Them, which uh, I, I believe is about... Uh, Conversion camps. Yeah, it's a it's a it's like a trans horror or something. Uh, I'm not. I think it's just a, like conversion therapy thing with like a wide range of different queer characters. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Like a creepy Christian camp headed by an evil Kevin Bacon. <laughs> okay, all right. It looks promising. I can dig it. Yeah, all right. Uh, we'll we'll see about that. But um, yeah, he was very good in this. Uh, plays this very. Uh, I mean, he's vulnerable, but I would say there's a a, a nice stoicness to him a little bit uh, he, or one a stoicness that he finds by the end of the movie which is you know one of those kind of things you know a character grows and you know uh, <laughs> i'm making it sound uninteresting but that was actually you know a, a nice arc that he had well in the first half he's pretty like i mean he's scared but like when he's just with his friend he's very open and like and excited and excited you know he's like very happy about where his life's going but you know a little wistful about leaving this one friend behind and then through the second half of the film he's basically a hostage so he does get very tight-lipped and like closed off um and you can't really read what he's thinking other than like i need to get the fuck out of here as soon as i can (laughs) yeah i i I should say that the the only real horror aspect here is the uh that i found that was like 
you know, really scary. If you could say that it's anything, any one thing in this movie is scary, it's the uh, intimidation factor, specifically from that one character, the the kingpin drug character. Yeah, played by Mark Patton, who was famous for uh, basically being outed by that Nightmare on Elm Street sequel that like blacklisted him effectively. And oh, that was whole documentary I about him. I, I didn't recognize him. I, I was like, I, whatever character, the name of the character was, which I can't recall, I just mm-hmm. know the, the feeling I got from watching the character. I thought that's who he was. You know, I, I wasn't thinking who the actor was. But that's amazing. That's really, that's really interesting because I, I, I wasn't thinking that. Wow. It's a very darkly funny performance from him because he, he vamps a little bit like in this like kind of ice queen kind of way. He's doing almost a Tiger King in a way. It makes you think that. And I, it's a bad comparison because who wants to be compared to Tiger King? But uh, to Joe Exotic, you know, no offense to. Well, actually, maybe I should say there should be some offense to Joe Exotic. I'm not sure if I like <laughs> that guy. I don't think I do. Uh, <laughs> anyone who's seen the Tiger King series knows. These those people are despicable, um, or at least that's how they're presented. I don't know, but um, he the guy the character the kingpin character does come off effeminate, but also violent, and he's definitely an in control character. You know, he's got this like charisma about him that is almost parasitic, but uh, very threatening too. There, there's oh, there's this really long sequence uh, towards the, I, I guess the third half uh, uh, or the third act of the film. It's almost completely this. It's, it's him and the gay friend, and they're basically having this almost negotiation for uh, like how the rest of the drug deal is going to play out. Uh, but more than that, he's almost like using his authority, the kingpin guy, over this guy. Like, hey, I got the gun. Oh, it's a hostage situation. It's a hostage situation. And he's using that and the fact that the guy is very vulnerable and now he can force him to strip. He can force him to do all sorts of things. But he's doing it almost like, no, you want to do it, not me. I don't want you to do it. You want to do it. He's got a menacing, like, uh, if Paul Lind, like, held you at knife point for an hour. That, that, is, like, that is an excellent description. That's way better than what I was going to say. A menacing Paul Lind. I mean... You, you see this movie, and that third act is almost entirely that, just those two, you know? Uh, and it's very threatening. It's very uh, uncomfortable. But it's also, like, it, it drags a little bit, you know? Like, it, it, it's just setting up this this inevitable conclusion. And, you know, like, he, he's, he spends a lot of time trying to find a way to get out of the situation, but that whole time he's trying to figure it out. You got you got the Paul Lynn Kingpin uh, dude, you know, saying these really you know weird and kind of terrifying things, you know, the, or underlying terrifying things. And uh, meanwhile, you're remembering that the other friend, the straight friend, uh, the movie's called Swallowed because they had to swallow some drugs, you know, like in balloons, and they have to poop them out later, and that becomes a big deal. While this the sequence with him and the and the kingpin guys go on, you're remembering all these different uncomfortable sequences where they're in a rest stop bathroom uh, trying to rid themselves of these drugs, or uh, or later in the movie where um, fisting almost saves the day. 
Thank you. Fisting doesn't save the day, but fisting almost saves the day. It almost saved the day. <laughs> I, I don't know how I was going to describe that, but I'm so glad you did. Uh, first, <laughs> you, you said it's it's this movie has weird male sexual politics. I'll say that. I don't. I wouldn't call it weird. Really? I would call it, well, maybe weird for me because I don't see it that often. Uh, I think it's unashamedly <laughs> queer, and it's like playing to a queer audience like in a way that's not accommodating like it's not yeah it's not a very like lovely vision of what being a queer man in america looks like <laughs> no not at all it's very very much like they're paint they're painted in a corner and they're trying yeah. to get out of the situation and you're having to see them do these things that are associated with that community or that that kind right. of uh, sexual performance or whatever you want to call it and uh they they're doing it and you know like rest stop bathroom yeah there's like a hookup situation in the bathroom or at least that's what appears Almost. to be happening that's, that's yeah. what it appears to be happening and there's a communal jar of vaseline that i found particularly disgusting vaseline <laughs> that's what i was thinking I, I think i wrote on twitter a little while ago uh medical jelly but i meant vaseline that's what i oh thank you i was gonna look in my bathroom for that jar of vaseline. it was a communal jar that has been used before and not very sanitarily uh <laughs> and there's there's so many little little nods here and there to these different aspects of um i guess of gay sex and uh in this in this horror film or what's supposed to be a horror film and it's i i feel odds calling it uncomfortable but i guess that's the best way i can describe those bits and when i said said before that i was laughing i don't mean i was laughing like necessarily at the movie it was more out of sheer being uncomfortable oh there's a lot of tension yeah there's a lot of tension and anytime i see stuff like that grosses me out or not this didn't gross me out but when i see things like that make me feel a little awkward you know or like oh uh, ah, uh, you know makes you make your body kind of cringe a little bit I, I kind of chuckle and laugh. I did that during jury duty too this week. <laughs> I was we were sitting in the in the jury box and um or I was sitting in the, the the chairs that was next to the jury box, but I was still being questioned. And they were talking about this case and the guy said something that made me laugh and uh the lawyer guy and he's like, uh, oh you think that's funny? I was like, Well, I just kinda laugh sometimes, sir. <laughs> I didn't know why I was I'm nervous. Saying. Yeah, come on. I was like, I'm nervous. I just chuckled, you know. Well, I would say the two villains in this, Mark Patton and um, Jenna Malone, also plays like a, a heavy with a gun that's pointed at the two main characters. She's a minor villain because she does force them into the situation, but at the same yeah. time, she also kind of you get the the sense that she's almost like a little sorry that she got him in, involved this right. deep, you know. But there's like a bluntness to their villainy, the the both of them. That's like I think genuinely funny on purpose and is meant to cut the tension a little bit yeah there's there's that in there yeah but also i mean you're skipping over the one part of the movie that is like genuinely horror because everything we've said so far just makes it like a thriller like a drug running thriller what am i skipping over the 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 fisting no the fact that the drugs that they swallow aren't normal drugs. oh oh, yes yes (laughs) that's the part that's that's the part that's more traditional horror yeah like if this were a creature feature that's what that's what the focus would be they're they're like these bugs or something. Yeah, they're, and they're they're gonna hatch, you know. And, and it's like it's like the, the the concept is basically like a toad where you lick the back of a toad and it like gives you this crazy high. You know, it's it's supposed to be like that. You know, that's they're not aliens that hatch in you and become xenomorphs or anything. It's just 
you know, drug related stuff. But I was like, you know, this movie's kind of unsettling. I thought it was pretty good, honestly. A lot of the people I spoke to at the festival, it was their favorite thing they saw, which I can't quite match that enthusiasm, but Yeah, I can't see that. Yeah. It was very uncomfortable and darkly funny. Yeah, I like movies that are uncomfortable and make you feel weird and awkward and go to very deeply dark places or just dark places in general. Uh, this movie, I, I can't say went to super dark places, but it definitely took me for a ride. I also appreciate just that there were multiple queer horror films on the program. I feel like that's something that I always look for at New Orleans Film Fest. I'm looking for one or two of those things. Um, whenever I can get both at the same time, I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, it feels like a jackpot situation. Oh, right. Yes. Cha-ching. Uh, what, what were the other queer horror movies, if I, uh, if I may ask? The other one I saw was called Hypochondriac. It was from a first-time director, and it was subtitled uh, based on a real-life breakdown. Uh, so, like, okay. he, made, he made a movie about his own, like, personal nervous breakdown. Okay. In the film, his mother is this, like, abusive schizophrenic who um, allows her paranoia to influence how she raises her kid to the point where she's like hitting him or choking him um, as a teenager. And he grows up finally getting her out of his system. Like he kind of just like moves away and like starts his own life as this like clay potter in LA and basically like cuts her out of his life. But then she calls him a couple times and starts ranting in his voicemail about how his boyfriend isn't trustworthy or his friends are out to get him. And it sends him just absolutely fucking spiraling instantly. So like the movie starts with him doing these like cute little dances to like Jesse J while he's like working in his little clay pottery shop. And then a couple phone calls later from his mom. And he's just like an absolute fucking wreck and uh, starts to imagine this wolf. That's like kind of like a metaphor representation of his like trauma coming back into his life. Oh, wow. The wolf is like, uh, it's very much like the bunny in Donnie Darko. It's like that level of costume. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the movie doesn't have a lot of like resources to work with, like as far as like making the monster scary or anything, but it has like a sense of humor and a oddball cathartic way of dealing with the situation where like <laughs> the wolf is never trying to hurt him really. It just like scares him into hurting himself most of the time. But the closer the wolf gets to him, the more it becomes like sexual. And, oh. you know, he ends up, like, making out with the wolf and, like, having, like, sexual experiences with this, like, trauma oh, that's, like, entered his life. There's a very funny gag, you know, because he's a pottery guy that goofs on the um, famous pottery scene at the wheel in Ghost. That got a good laugh out of me. <laughs> um, it's a much more lighthearted movie than Swallowed. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. But at the same time, you know, you just said... You know, there was that, there's that bit where he's having these sexual experiences with this manifestation of his trauma. God. <laughs> you know, it's not simply a wolf. It's the manifestation of his trauma, and he's making out with it, or he's having sex with it, or whatever. Right. And it's like, what does that mean? Well, it's like he's having, like, consensual sex with, like, a long-term partner. Well, then he'll, like, blink and open his eyes, and the partner, like, transforms into this thing. And he, like, gets scared and, like, has to, like, recoil. Uh, but, <laughs> oh, okay. you know. It's like the devil's advocate where uh, Keanu Reeves is, is having sex with his wife, but then it turns into the other woman and then vice versa. 
Right. It's it's kind of like a it's a it's a scare gag like that, but it's allowed to like linger on the sensuality of the moment a little longer than is comfortable. So like I don't know. I don't know what he was going through when he made this. It seems like a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I would say this is this is probably a healthy as as weird as this, as unusual as as you're making this out to be. I would say this is a very healthy expression. Right. And it was kind of adorable and like easy to root for because the guy was just very like charming and the director was there to answer questions and he was basically just as like gregarious and like outgoing as the main character of his movie. Um, it's the only movie I saw without like actual distribution. Oh, so I, I don't know how long it would take to like get out to the general public, but I don't know if you like queer horror, but you don't want to see someone <laughs> poop out Cronenberg drug bugs. Uh, hypochondriac might be a better alternative than swallowed. Well, the, the good news is about swallowed. I, I, I think I should note this is when he, when the character is, um, well, when one character is reaching into the other character's butt to pull out, uh, Balloonies of Cronenberg bugs. Uh, we don't actually see the penetration, but you can feel it. You just don't see it. I almost feel like that would have improved the movie if you could see it. <laughs> <laughs> if Lloyd, if Lloyd Kaufman had made this movie, then yeah, we would be seeing. Maybe it. missing a little edge there. I don't know. <laughs> I remember seeing um, at New Orleans Film Festival. There's this movie, Are We Not Cats, that played there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's a surgery scene where someone performs like DIY surgery on another character and removes this like giant hairball that was like clogging their intestines. Mm-hmm. And the the movie screened at the IMAX at the aquarium, rest in peace. And yes, uh, rest in peace. Yes. <laughs> it was just this like 50 foot tall surgery gore, like right in front of my face. That's amazing. And, uh, it looked and felt very similar to the scene in swallowed, uh, the fisting scene, but like, I don't know. It was a lot more graphic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did see another uh, movie that has a similar dark sense of humor and like grotesqueness to it. Okay. Called Piggy, which uh, premiered oh. at Sundance this year. Yeah, I, I didn't get, to, I didn't see this, but I did see the um, poster and read the synopsis and I honestly didn't know how I felt about it. I, I was like, you know, I'll probably skip it this 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 time out, but maybe I'll see it, you know, when it hits a VOD. So I'm I'm interested to hear to hear what you uh, thought about it. It's got kind of like a um, welcome to the dollhouse style humor. You know, this young girl is being bullied for being fat. It looks like it's the '90s, like in Welcome to the Dollhouse. It has that like very dated aesthetic to it. But everyone's oh, okay. on Instagram bullying her on their smartphones. So it's definitely um, modern. It's just, you know, kids have like kind of a retro aesthetic to their like art and fashion right now. Oh, right, right. So they're bullying her on Instagram, even though some of them used to be friends with her when they were younger. And then all the kids that are picking on her in particular are abducted by the neighborhood serial killer. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness. Uh, this girl who, you know, was hiding behind the like counter at her family's butcher shop suddenly doesn't have as many bullies anymore and she can go to the pool uh and like swim without being insulted and she can like go to the candy store without like looking over her shoulder to make sure no one's going to take like a sneak picture of her to like label like fat 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 on Instagram that's that's so fucked up people do that so like she feels kind of good about it. Like <laughs> she can 
definitely saved their lives by like ratting out the serial killer that she knows abducted these kids. She knows where he's hiding. Oh, that's that's the wow. Okay, but she like withholds the information because like now she gets to have a real childhood. She gets to like try weed for the first time or like she has her first crush on the serial killer <laughs> and uh she, <laughs> she um experiments with lying to her family for the first time because she knows who the killer is and won't say anything about it so like nice. she gets to like be a kid for the first time but it's under these really fucked up circumstances and the movie's like both very gruesome and grimy um it kind of drifts from that instagram aesthetic to almost like saw level like torture porn territory uh you know remember in the, like the 2000s all those movies had like meat hooks and like uh you know just like dingy warehouses and shit like abattoirs uh, oh, it kind of g- yeah. gets into that territory but um in the meantime it's like a very like oddly funny but like deeply fucked up coming of age story for this like very specific character i really liked it <laughs> but uh it was definitely uncomfortable in the same way Sw- swallowed was that's that's interesting yeah no I, i'm I'm definitely gonna have to see it but uh thinking about it it, it kind of sounds like a, like a cross between super dark times and summer of 84 uh, have you seen either of those yeah that's the one with the um the little kids uh kind of like a stranger things like kids on bikes thing with like yeah, a kids on killer. bikes they think the one of the neighbors is a serial killer and there's a lot of um red herrings and things like that and then of course there's this wonderful ending and it completely upends the entire movie from, from before that uh super dark times uh is, is set more modern uh it's about a uh, couple friends uh, i saw that one, one too them, oh, you saw that one too one of them yeah. accidentally kills the other and you know uh, with a sword <laughs> it sounds almost like a cross between those two but with a little bit more of a salon's edge to it yeah yeah piggy i mean you know uh sounds a little like that and uh yeah i'm I'm there for it i did notice that the short it's based off of is free on canopy right now uh okay. i don't know when the movie's coming out but if you want like a small taste of it there's like an eight minute short version uh, on canopy but i i thought this was really good i think more people would like I don't know, a fucked up sense of humor. <laughs> we'll, we'll enjoy it once it comes out. It seems like the films we've been highlighting here uh, from Overlook are mostly fucked up senses of humor movies. <laughs> and uh, and I like that. Yeah. My other like huge highlight also shares that. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. We're going to keep the trend going. All right. This will be the last one I talk about. Cause I, I did see a few others, but like the one that really stood out to me that we haven't discussed yet is uh, flux gourmet by Peter Strickland. I, I tried getting a, uh, because they were hooking me up with so many screeners this year uh, or not so many, they hooked me up with a couple, but I wanted that one. That was, that was yeah. the big one that I wanted to get. And uh, I think I contacted the, the team behind it. They just never got back in touch with me, but uh, I, I'm really interested to hear about this. one. How do you feel about Strickland in general? Uh, you know, I, I like them. I, I, I didn't see. I feel. I feel bad about this. I didn't see all of In Fabric, but what I did see of it, I thought. <laughs> I thought was very cool. Like just, just cool. You know? I love that movie. It wasn't there like an NC seventeen cut, or am I thinking of something else? I don't believe so. No, unrated. That's not NC seventeen. There was an unrated version, and there was just the regular version. And I wasn't sure what the difference was. I'm trying to imagine any actual sex in the film. 
Uh, yeah. I can picture people going down on shopping mall mannequins, but uh, no actual like skin to skin contact or real genitals. You know, just right. Or, you know, just mannequin skin on plastic, sure, but not skin on skin. Uh, well, he's a bit of a fetishist, uh, which is why I love him. I think he's one of the best directors working right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one is very much like a rehab of Barbarian Sound Studio. His one about like the Foley artist. Who's yeah. working on like Jalo films and like smashing up melons to make it sound like skulls cracking? Nice. He kind of picks up on that and brings it up to speed with stuff like Duke of Burgundy and In Fabric, where it's more fetishistic now. There's an art collective of sonic caterers, uh, which are basically noise musicians that make music out of food preparation. That's extremely specific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they like run blenders and like chop up vegetables, uh, but they microphone it and um distort it so that it sounds like weird noise music that's wonderful like no seriously i I love like little weird super niches like that and it's cool too because it's like uh not only are they making music but it kind of registers as witchcraft like there's just like a dark magic to what they're doing that kind of transcends it just (laughs) being music i think i described it when i was reviewing it like uh it's like a vh1 behind the music but set in the witch house from the suspiria remake oh oh it's got my a lot goodness. of like petty like rock star squabbles among these noise musicians like they're kind of acting out these like spinal tap style like jokes about just regular rock band bullshit but their actual art is so weird and out there uh, and witchy that like it just <laughs> there's like a dissonance uh between those two things that's very funny wait is that I, these aren't just side characters these are the characters yeah, they're like the main characters in the movie. Wow, I, I must have misread the synopsis or something because <laughs> I, I had it in my head that this was like uh, more about cooking or something, and uh, <laughs> I must have read it wrong because <laughs> I'm. I There's a the lot of part. food, but they're not cooking it. They're like Recording smashing it, it and yeah. cutting it and blending it and making weird music out of it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, I misread it completely. Uh, it kind of it kind of plays like a sister film to Cronenberg's new movie, in that like they're both these like imaginary worlds where like performance artists are the new rock stars, <laughs> and like audiences <laughs> just flock in like very horny appreciation of this weird art that these people are making in this isolated mansion. Um, <laughs> and they, they show their appreciation in these like nightly orgies after each performance. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> it's very silly. There's a lot of like fart jokes and just like sex humor and stuff like that. But it's also, if you've ever seen a Strickland movie, he's got this kind of hushed downplayed humor, even though the things that are happening are like so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't think it's like his best movie. I, I'd say Duke of Burgundy and In Fabric are both a better version of what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's very like fun satire and like art snobbery and like the commercialization of like weird art, which is something he obviously knows a thing or two about. Uh, <laughs> like uh, how annoying it is when people with money tell you what to do with your work, even though. Um, the suggestions they're making might be the smallest little thing that they're asking you to tweak. And you're like, fuck you. I'm going to do whatever I want with this weird blender magic spell I'm doing. (laughs) Uh, Have you seen seen velvet buzzsaw? Yeah. It's, it's, it's similar satire. Yeah, for sure. It's like these like petty squabbles among like people who are supposedly very high thinkers, you know? Yeah. Like supposedly they're like sophisticates, 
but they squabble and like bitch over like things that really do not matter like the entire time <laughs> but yeah I'd, I'd put flux gourmet and deadstream among the best things i saw at the festival i think mad god was very clearly the best thing i saw there and probably oh, yeah. my favorite movie so far this year any festival that shows mad god mad god is going to be like the top i saw that at fantasia last year well not i didn't go to they they, they had the virtual version but i loved it and uh i mean it was so intricate and dark and lived in and everything and it's all stop motion or mostly stop motion and uh uh yeah easily one of my favorite movies uh this year now that it's being released on shutter but what's cool too is like i kind of thought that overlook would have been like the one place i could have seen mad god on the big screen i kind of like cherished the opportunity and then i think Britannia's playing it for a week right now and i think after that's done the broad is going to play it presumably for a week as well so there are opportunities to see Mad God on the screen. I'm sure the the Showtime selections will be very thin, but uh, if you could pencil it into your schedule, it's it's pretty amazing to watch it in a dark room, immersed in it where you cannot look at your telephone for an hour straight. <laughs> you won't want to look at your telephone for an hour straight. I mean, this, this <laughs> right. is this is that great of a movie, or at least we think so. But yeah, it, it's it's it really is uh, quite something. <laughs> It, it's it's its own like wonderful world of dystopic uh, post war, current war, and apocalyptic, and oh my goodness! Well, I think I think we've effectively covered this festival. I, I feel I feel confident that was a good selection of things that played there. Yeah, I, I was really glad that Overlook um, has has come back, you know, or felt confident enough to open its doors again because uh, the last two years obviously have been rough on the film industry and every industry for that matter, but the film industry and the film festival industry too. Uh, so much so that Overlook had to kind of reevaluate and configure together with some other film organizations, their own virtual festival called Nightstream, uh, which I hope, you know, one day they'll, they'll do again because uh, I really enjoyed Nightstream. I thought it was a great idea. Uh, they didn't just do, virtual showings that you could watch at you know different times and everything but they also had like um these uh virtual rooms you could go into uh and just chat with other critics or film lovers or whatever like it's like a like a little they call it like a cafe or something and uh it's like a chat room but vert but like a not even VR, it's just... It's like uh, if you're on Final Fantasy on Game Boy and you just wander into a bar and uh, yeah, okay. engage yeah. with the barkeep. <laughs> it's like that. Except it's a yeah. real person. Just imagine that, but you can actually talk to people. And uh, it's very nice. It's very interesting. And um, you know, maybe they'll have a, a, a new, newer version of that sometime down the line. But, uh, but I'm really happy they're, they're back uh, doing uh, in-person screenings again. I'm not going to lie. It's my favorite film festival in the city. It feels like I'm getting away with something every time it comes back. I'm like, oh my God, this is happening again. What did I do to deserve this? <laughs> hey, look, so, well, I, I bet you anything, if John Waters were to come down here every year and do like a regular film festival of movies he, that he can program, that would be your new festival, favorite festival. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that would be everyone's. But Speaking of celebrities that I've been in the same room with and... um have had nothing to say to them, even though they're my favorite person. <laughs> really? You, 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 you were in the same room with John Waters? Yeah, I was at the bar across the street from 
some you know lecture thing he was doing that I had tickets to, and he was at the bar wearing a beautiful little pink angora sweater um, with little pom poms on it, and uh, he it's... looked like he would have been open to chatting. But uh, I really, I mean, what would I have said? You're my favorite artist who is alive. No, you would have. <laughs> it's not no, a very good conversational opener. <laughs> uh, if I uh, if I was there and my friend was there, my friend would have said, "So what kind of shit are you getting into tonight?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And his answer would have been the corner pocket, most likely. But, uh... <laughs> Someone, oh God, speaking of John Waters, just real quick, uh, another critic uh, online on film, they call it film Twitter. It's the Twitter community of film critics. Uh, Jason Bailey, He uh, a couple hours ago, he was like, hey guys, I'm about to watch Pink Flamingos for the first time. Wish me well. And everyone was like, oh my God. <laughs> you're about to watch it for the first time. You don't know what you're getting yourself into, dude. Yeah, and he's like, he's like all bright eyed and everything, you know, like, hey, I'm about to watch Pink Flamingos. I'm, I'm just like sitting back laughing, like, what's this live tweet gonna, gonna produce? You know, he's like, what do we tell him? <laughs> do we let him know, or do, do we let him find out? Speaking of like, uh, in town film events, always go see that on the big screen when you can. Yeah, the audience oh. makes it so much better. The last time was at uh, Noma. They had like a summer series of John Waters films, and just watching that with the museum crowd was beautiful, <laughs> life changing. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing how some films just remain taboo. Oh yeah, you know I've seen it in person. I think three times now, and every single time there have been multiple walkouts, which I find fascinating because it's like half a century old. <laughs> right, it, it still gets under people's skin, or it's still pisses people off or it still grosses them out and that's that's absolutely beautiful and a complete um compliment to john waters <laughs> i love it i love that movie well um i like you said covered every movie i saw at the festival on swamp flicks and i, I did a little roundup piece sort of like ranked the different movies against each other just for fun okay i assume you're doing some kind of coverage on movie going with bill yeah i'm, I'm gonna um write something up for the uh, hopefully for this weekend uh or um uh, or maybe in conjunction with your uh with this episode once this episode uh officially is uploaded uh i'll probably uh post it right then but i'm definitely gonna finish writing it uh my piece uh this weekend i'm gonna catch up i had one more movie to watch and i got sick yeah it's called jethica that one actually stars the guy from beast beast that i was talking about earlier he, he's oh really he's in it okay yeah yeah uh so that's that's the last one i have and um i'm gonna watch that uh and uh you know i'll report back with my review but uh yeah it's gonna be a piece that's gonna include those reviews and i guess an embed of this uh this podcast i was very curious about jethica because i you know i talked to that guy and he was very nice and i liked his previous work and then the screening of Deadstream I was supposed to go to was canceled for like technical issues, oh. which is very funny considering what movie it was. Right. And then <laughs> uh, it got rescheduled to, you know, a conflicting time with Jethica. So I couldn't make it to both. Um, oh, so I, I'm curious to read your review to see what I missed. Yeah. No, I'll let you know. Is there anywhere else we should direct people to go uh, read your work? Uh, well, right now it's definitely moving going with Bill on Substack, uh, which is moviegoing.rocks. Because movie going rocks. There's there. Uh, I might be doing something with Bayou Brief very soon. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. I think there's something coming up that I can do with them. 
Uh, I've got some more posts coming to Movie Going with Bill uh, regarding uh, the New Orleans Film Society having a new executive uh, director. And uh, I believe there's a interesting film event about the, um, the uh, Mardi Gras Parade Rex coming up on June 22nd. They're going to show two, a two-minute clip from an 1898 Mardi Gras Parade of Rex that uh, they believe is the earliest known uh, footage shot in New Orleans. Amazing. Yeah, so they're going to show that. And uh, I don't think it's going to be on film. I think it's just going to be the cleaned-up digital file or something. But uh, they have that. And I've been wanting to write this piece on David Lynch's uh, recent restorations of his movies. They, they did Inland Empire, and then they did, uh, they're doing Lost Highway. Inland Empire showed at the Broad. Lost Highway is going to show at the Broad uh, in July. And I want to do something that kind of like reviews. I'm not going to lie, you broke up really bad just now. So uh, I'm going to play a little bit of uh, the glitchy sound that was coming out of you. Because uh, <laughs> that's what I have on the recording. But in the meantime, check out Bill at moviegoing.rocks. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode. I really like this cap off after you talking about glitch art for so long with Nosferatu for you to get very glitchy. Um, and I'm going to take that as a uh, proof of my ghost theory earlier. Oh my God. <laughs> Did I just get trolled? Is that the word for it? You got ghost trolled for sure. I got ghost trolled. Okay. Glitch trolled. Maybe? Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us everyone. Thanks for having me. Beware of the ghost trolls. Yeah.